Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Please subscribe, leave a review, comment, share, and consider supporting the podcast on Patreon, even at the producer and sponsorship levels. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with DDS Dobson-Smith about specific steps for HR and people ops leadership to create an experience of belonging in the workplace. DDS Dobson Smith, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Well, thanks for having me, John. It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from Connecticut. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. Today, Mm -hmm. we're going to be talking about specific steps for HR and people ops leadership to create an experience and culture of belonging within organizations. And I think this is always an important topic. This is one I feel passionate about. I'm super excited to pick your brain and get some of your insights. Uh, and I appreciate you taking time to share with me and my listeners today. As we get started, I wanted to share DDS's bio with everyone. DDS Dobson Smith is the founder and CEO of the executive coaching consultancy Soul Trained and consults for big brands like Target, Spotify, and Udemy. As licensed psychotherapist and author of the number one best selling You Can Be Yourself Here, Your Pocket Guide to Creating Inclusive Workplaces by Using the Psychology of Belonging. He is a leader in the space and in thought leadership, and it's, again, pleasure to have you. Anything else you would like to share with me and my listeners by way of your background or personal context before we really dive on into the conversation? Uh, No, let's dive on in, John, and see where we go. Perfect, perfect. Well, why don't we start? I always like to ask how you found yourself in this space. Uh, You know, you have a unique path, a unique journey, everyone you know, very few people take a perfectly linear path. How did you find yourself in this space doing this work uh, in belonging and inclusion and just creating dynamic environments within organizations? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're, you're right. It, it definitely isn't linear. I mean, I, I, I started out my career very, very early doors as being um, in academia and being a, a, a professor in further education in the UK. And I was... At at the time, I was the youngest college professor in the UK, and I remember a moment uh, when I was handing back an assignment to a student who was born in the same day in the same year as my mum, and uh, the the class that I was teaching was on public house operations because my undergrad is in hospitality management. I'm handing this guy back this this assignment um, and he's the same age as my parents. He's had a he's had a pub longer than I had been alive at the time. And I'd graded his assignment a C. And I remember looking him in the eyes and going and, <laughs> and me going, 
who the heck am I right now? And like, I just didn't, you know, I, I, we talk about imposter syndrome right in that moment. I was like, this does not feel good and legitimately did not feel good. So I decided I'd go out into industry and like get some, get some miles on the clock and eventually go back to academia. And that, so that started me on a search to find a career or a job that was as closely related to teaching as possible. And I ended up in HR or as it was called back in the day, personnel management. Um, and, uh, you know, and so from there on in, spent a 25 year long career um, in HR, started as a generalist and then kind of really went into learning and development, org psych, org development um and which which i had a 25 year career up to up to board and c suite level but it was in the learning and development space where i first got into coaching and realized that as a as a coach i i can only help people to a certain degree right and there's there and you know coaching has a very future focused and a lot of the time in coaching was bumping up against some issues that really required therapy. And I was like, well, maybe I'll go and learn to be a therapist. And so off I went and um, certified as a therapist and, and had a private practice in the UK. Moved to the US 10 years ago, nearly 10 years ago, um, only on for a two year assignment. Twos led to three, three to four. We got a green card, putting down roots. And I was like, oh, I'm going to, I feel like I want to practice again as a psychotherapist. And it wasn't such an easy job to transfer my credentials as a therapist from the UK into the US. So I went back to school and I did a three year master's in integral counseling psychology. And as part of that program, I did a research paper into um, the psychological um, experience of belonging and how it impacts workplace performance. And, um, and that, uh, and I, and I had an interest in that because my, my career had been, in HR really about creating workplaces where people could be themselves and, and climates where people could be themselves. Because my theory is when, when you can be yourself at work, um, the psychological energy that would otherwise be taken up trying to cover code switch, be, be a different version of yourself is unleashed and is available for, you know, innovation, creativity, relationships, work, so this academic paper popped out um, and it was called You Can Be Yourself Here. And I was like, this is this needs to be out there in the world. And of course, an academic paper does not make for interesting reading. <laughs> so I want the listeners to know that it is not an academic paper in a book. It is it it has been peppered with, you know, humor and vulnerability and other people's stories and practical real life examples of what organizations and leaders within organizations can do to create a climate of belonging and why they would want to do that anyway. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That is fascinating. And it sounds like we share many um, aspects to our origin stories. Uh, oh, really? long, long time listeners of the podcast will know, and I don't want to like repeat myself and this isn't about me, but uh, I have a PhD in sociology. So I'm a professor. I do consulting work uh, huh. as well as things like this on the side. Um, and, and, you know, several years ago, you know, I've published a ton in, in academic journals, yeah. um, but, but, but like you said, that only reaches so many people. It does. <laughs> And, and, and so I, you know, I made the conscious choice 
you know, I've been, I've always done, um, I, I, I ended up in the HR training and development, leadership development space. It sounds like for the same reasons you did. Um, and, and so I've always been involved in the practitioner space that way, but all my writing was academic. And I made the conscious decision a few years ago to move towards the scholar practitioner kind of orientation and make things, you know, not necessarily try to become a thought leader, but just try to, to share things in a way that is going to be usable by the and digestible. and digestible yeah. and accessible. Right. right? right. And right. so, and so that's, that's where this podcast came from. That's where a lot of my recent books and, and articles have come from. And it's been a fun journey. Uh, I still do the academic stuff. I still teach, I still do academic research, but I find this to be really enjoyable and it informs my teaching in the university space. Right. Um, and my research, of course, influences, you know, what I do in the practitioner space. So it's a win-win all the way around. Yeah, you and I, are, you and I share a lot in common. I'm, I'm just about <laughs> to start my PhD in human sexuality. And I am, and I did go back into academia and I'm adjunct faculty at a, at a college on the West Coast, teaching grad students to become therapists. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, with that common ground established, we yeah. <laughs> two peas in the pod. Um, right. Let's let's talk more specifically about some of the ideas in your book uh, around specifically what HR and people ops leaders, really any leader in an organization, can do as they're trying to establish that psychologically safe environment, culture, and and really just a place where people can belong. We talk a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion, all of which Mm -hmm. are super important. But if you don't get past that to belonging, I'm not sure you actually get the full impacts, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the first thing I I want to say, and I know you qualified any leaders, I really want to say that diversity, inclusion, and belonging, and, and equity is not the job of HR and people ops. And, and I think the organizations that, that fail in this area are the organizations that believe it is somebody else's job to do this stuff. HR and people ops, from my perspective, are, are specialists, are enablers, are, um, are thought leaders. But if, if this doesn't, if this topic doesn't become uh, on the agenda of everybody that takes a seat of a seat of power in an organization then um then then the organization is pissing in the wind quite frankly um and so and so the the book does lay out a ton of things that that are in the hr world um uh, around how to um to create diversity in an organization and i talk about diversity being a fact you, you either do or do not have diversity and representation in, in an organization. And then I talk about inclusion as being a behavior and organizational behavior in terms of the policies, platforms and protocols that, that an organization uses to go about its business, but also the behavior of its people. And I and it is and, and I've, I've long time said that that the behavior uh, the, a climate of an organization is going to be shaped by the worst behavior you're willing to tolerate in a leader. And so therefore, this behavior of inclusion, once once you've got diversity and you've recruited diversity and you've nurtured diversity and all of that sort of stuff, if, if the organization and its leaders don't behave in inclusive ways, you're not going to reach that space of um, 
of belonging, which I which I talk about in the book as being an experience. You experience belonging when there is the presence of psychological safety, which is the uh, the experience that you have when it's not expensive to be yourself. So there are there are the book is peppered with practical tools and resources. But when it comes down to it, the difference that will make the difference, the thing that will break the bank is the behavior of the leaders in an, in an organization. And if we have people sitting in seats of power that are that are, are d- doing DEI um, because they know they're supposed to um, versus doing doing DEI and being DEI. Um, because of the benefits that it brings, not only to the organization, uh, but to society in general, you know, it, it's, it's, the, it's the ones, it's the organizations that, that understand that the, the deep economics of this and, the, and um, that, will, that will succeed in this space. Yeah, you really, you can't just give lip service to it. It's not just something for a PR campaign or for a slogan or for a nice poster on the wall, you know, having a mission and value statements, you know, those are good, but you got to get beyond that. And, and in this day and age, most organizations recognize that their consumers expect them to, you know, be socially aware and, and at least surface level inclusive, but the, but is it actually embedded into the organization? Are those values actually integrated throughout the policies, practices, procedures? Right. Is it actually, does it actually come out in the lived leadership style and experience of leaders throughout the organization, on. right? On, on a regular basis, on a daily basis. And right. if you're just giving lip service to it, that, but then you're making decisions behind closed doors in, those, in, the, in the C-suite that undermine that value, then clearly people are going to recognize it for what it is. And it, right. it's, it's just a, a facade. And so we have to walk the walk. We have to model it. And, and only then can we start to really uh, permeate this, this general attitude, this mindset and culture towards belonging. And you've already mentioned, you know, the, the economic benefits, the bottom line ROI of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And that is clearly demonstrated in so much research. I've done some of that research myself. It's clearly demonstrated. Um, And so while the people case, I would hope that the human element, the people case would be enough. uh, The reality is there's a very clear business case and economic case ROI for these behaviors, for these actions. And so it's really quite frankly, stupid for, for organizations and leaders who resist it. And so then the question becomes, well, why do so many resist it? Because that's been my experience is the vast majority of organizations that are doing DEI and belonging work, it's still pretty darn surface level. And, and even if their intentions are good, even if they have aspirational goals in the space, they're not anywhere close to actually creating an environment of belonging. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I was reading, you know, what, why, so the, the business case is clear, and we see that in, we, we see that because like, you just look around and see all of these brands who are, I, I was reading an article today about woke washing, and here, here are these, here are these brands, you know, last year, they'll, they'll, they'll slap a black square on their Instagram feed and, and talk about Black Lives Matter, but as soon as you peer inside and look under the hood, there is no black person in a seat of power. 
there is no ERGs supporting the the, the black, brown, um, indigenous or Asian communities. We've just, we're June 2nd, we're two days into Pride Month. And just look at all of the brands out there that have slapped a rainbow on their logo. And then, and I wonder how many logos, uh, sorry, how many brands actually have policies and practices that actively support um, the queer community, whether that's trans people being supported on their medical and social transition in work or inclusive parental policies or whatever it is, right? Like it's just, it's, so the, the, this movement has be, has become capitalized because brands know that they are going to make money from it. And yet when you look under the hood and brands don't, then do don't do the hard miles right and why don't they do it well i i think because most people are scared of being wrong and in order in order to do well in this space of belonging and diversity equity and inclusion we have to be prepared to be wrong we have to be prepared to have conversations and tread on people's toes and make mistakes and fall over and cause offense and learn from that but because we're so scared of being shamed or blamed or because we're so scared of, you know, being, um, you know, not being quote unquote politically correct, whatever that means, we decide instead to not have the conversations, which just serves to keep us where we are. It keeps us stuck in our current place, which is a society that promotes and favors anyone that is white, straight, cisgender, male or, or, or non-disabled. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Academy. Courses, micro-credentials, and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. All HCI Academy courses, micro-credentials, and certificates are designed, developed, and delivered by award-winning and internationally renowned scholars, educators, thought leaders, executives, and practitioners. Our courses, micro-credentials, and certificates will help you make your mark on the future of work and make an immediate impact in your organizations. Check out the HCI Academy and our many course offerings and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Yeah, well said, well said. And I was walking through Target just yesterday. So June 1st, I'm walking through Target with a friend uh, who happens to be bisexual. And she is just 
pointing out some of the brand, like you were talking about some of the branding um, rainbows and things like that. And, and she was pointing out some of the clothing <laughs> that happened to have like rainbows on it, you know, for pride month. And she's like, on the one hand, I'm, I'm happy that this is happening. I'm, I'm happy that it's more visual for, uh, for people. On the other hand, who would wear that? Like she, she, she was making the comment, like, did they actually talk to anybody who's from that community to try to get input as to, you know, what would make sense for, for, for target to, to, you know, put their best foot forward. Now I don't know. I actually don't know anything about target and their policies and practices around LGBTQ plus inclusivity. Maybe they're great, but, but in this instance, you know, her comment was, you know, so many organizations, just simply don't actually ask the people within their organizations that could actually inform them and help them better understand what a, a culture and environment of belonging or inclusivity would be. What, what, if, if you're, if you're in the product space, what types of products and services, you know, would actually be of value uh, and, and add to the dialogue and the conversation rather than just strictly commercialize it. Right. Uh, yeah. and that was kind of her critique, uh, of, of Wal- of, uh, not Walmart of target. And, and I think it was a very valid one. It's, it's, it's been evident in other places that I've seen. And it's something you just highlighted in what you said. So, you know, again, having aspirational, uh, values that we're striving for is great. And we may not be there yet. And I, nobody expects you to be perfect, but you got to engage in the space. And then you have to actually listen to the people who are from those populations uh, on the other side of that spectrum. So, so maybe a company that has good intentions, but isn't listening um, in the right way, aren't engaged, isn't engaging um, people from those disadvantaged populations in the right way. Uh, to the other extreme where you see an organization that has really good intentions um, and they really want to hear the, the, those voices. They want to put um, people from those populations from within their employee group in those seats of power. Right. And I, I saw this uh, recently with an organization I was working with. They've had a really hard time in the gender space um, with, with just misogyny, sexism and really imbalanced um hiring practices. So, you know, just hugely imbalanced 80% men instead, you know, not no gender balance. And so they made the decision that they were every single hiring committee for a new position had to be chaired by a female. Um, and on the one hand, I think that sounds great because, <laughs> because, you know, they, they, they've been perpetuating this problem for so long and you got to do something to disrupt it. On the other hand, again, only 20% of the, um, uh, only 20% in the organization are female. And now they have to chair every single search committee. Like now we're just burdening and piling on to this population. That's just going to have to do more and more work. <laughs> and, and so that's not the answer either. Right. And so we, we have to engage in the space. We have to have the dialogue. We have to make, create and, uh, and maintain policies, practices, and procedures that promote equity and, and can create that safe environment. But man, we got to both listen and not overly burden uh, people from those populations. Thoughts on how to navigate that? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's complex, right? So I understand the positive intention behind what that organization did. But I remember when I was a kid watching Tom and Jerry cartoons, and there was a moment when 
Um, I think Jer- Jerry had flooded the washing machine and Tom had, had shut the door to the washing machine room. And then the water started spurting out of the keyhole and he put a pour there and then water was starting out. Then he put another pour up there and then water was. Ca- so he put another pour. And that's the thing, like you, you, you have to take an holistic approach to this. You can't just solve spot problems because we live in a web of, uh, of systems that have been set up in a certain way. So positive intention behind having a female chair the recruitment committee, but then it then basically it's saying, okay, it's over to you. It's your problem to solve women, right? Like, which is quite frankly, not okay. And yes, so, yes. So you, I, I think there is a, you need to start earlier than that. And you need to think about who's designing the job descriptions, um, who's um, and, and who's designing the structure of the organization and is that balanced in terms of perspectives on how to create an organization and how to set up a job um, because it, it could be inherently biased towards a certain population once you've done your job architecture and you've made sure that the biases have been kind of worked out of that then you go into your recruitment practices. Are you advertising jobs in a place where your audience are going to consume those jobs? Or are you always advertising at, you know, historically white colleges? Or are you advertising only on LinkedIn? Or are you going to places where I don't know, parents, mothers, queer people, black people, Asian people might, might see the ad and therefore apply. And then when they do apply, are you are you taking action to make sure that names are removed from resumes in order to remove um, name bias um, and or certain information so that when it goes through the first sift, those biases again are mitigated. So that when it does get to um, when, when it does get to an interview. Have you got a balanced candidate list that you or a short list or even a long list that you've arrived at that has had the biases, natural biases mitigated? So you got to start way before the actual interview if you want to recruit diversity into the organization. Yeah, very well said. And undergirding all of this, you know, is is really well it's both a foundation and an outcome. So it's going to be self-reinforcing, but we have to create a psychologically safe environment where there's mutual accountability and trust, right? So from that comes the foundation of these policies, practices, procedures that can help to increase the diversity, equity, and inclusion elements. And it's a byproduct of that, that you're just going to get more and more of it to have that sense of belonging within the organization. So this, it, it is complex, we got to work on it. Let's have the conversations. Let's keep it moving forward. Um, I, I'm I'm committed to it, and I know we can move the needle. I know we can we can actually make rapid progress if we just continue to engage. Well, DDS, it has been a pleasure. I know at the time I have to let you yep. uh, skip here in just a minute. Before we close, though, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can connect with you and find out more about your work, and then any final word you might have on the topic for today. Yeah, thank you. Um, so feel free to follow me on LinkedIn, DDS Dobson Smith. You can also head over to Soul Train's website, which is www.soultrained.com. You'll find a page on there called Shift Happens, which is jam-packed full of articles, blogs, and podcasts. There's also um, a couple of pages on there where you can order my current book, You Can Be Yourself Here, 
and also preview the up and coming book, which is published in September called Leadership is a Behavior, Not a Title. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what DDS can do for you. Check out his books. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Check out my new book, The Future Leader, Creating and Transforming Next-Gen Organizations. Stemming from two decades of professional experience and over 600 in-depth interviews with executives, thought leaders, and scholars from across the globe, The Future Leader will help you explore the ordinary, everyday actions that will help you to prepare to lead in the future of work, to respond to an uncertain future, and to produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue, what some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There is no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of your problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. There's so much to do this fall in Cedar City. Go out and explore the stunning scenery on a fall drive through our nearby national parks. It's time to grab a flannel and pick out your best pumpkins because Cedar City has your fall getaway covered. Learn more at visitcedarcity.com.